Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Talking Texas Podcast. My name's Daniel. Hello, everyone. It's me, Carl Anker. We do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on the social medias. Twitter, uh, Instagram are the main ones, I guess. If you're listening on Spotify, follow us over there. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. Come on. Uh, leave a five-star review, and we will read it on the show. We got two reviews in the past week, both from uh, the United States of America, according to this uh, software I have. So we're going to read these out. Genuinely great podcast from Young Boozer. He says, have been listening to this podcast for about a year now, and it is seriously one of the pods that I look forward to the most each week. One of the reasons that I like to listen is because I'm a white person from the mid from Midwestern United States, and I enjoy being able to listen to people of other backgrounds talk about how they see the game. So contrary to the popular saying, do not subscribe because it's free, subscribe because it really is a genuinely great podcast. So thank you. And the next one. Great show, guys. I only started seriously watching and following soccer <clears throat> in 2016, and being a fairly new fan of the game, I find your conversations very insightful. Love the overall vibe and chemistry that you guys have. Been listening to a lot of other soccer podcasts, and have to say you guys keep it real with minimal to no BS, which is what I enjoy the most about the show. I did subscribe to the Patreon last week. Happy to contribute towards this initiative and look forward to more awesome content from y'all. From Sarath Shudhish. Sorry if I mispronounced your name, bro. But thank you, guys, for the review. Um, speaking of the Patreon, if you do want to help the show out monetarily, we have a Patreon page. We record 30 to 40 minutes of extra content. And for the people that wanted the FIFA career mode that we're, that we're going to do, League On won the poll. So I think the team we're going to roll with is Monaco. So there's going to be a Monaco career mode on the Patreon for you guys. And, uh, yeah, we'll start that. Thursday or Friday, and that'll be a weekly thing on the Patreon. So if you're into FIFA, check us out over there. Carl, you got anything you want to say? Stuff that's coming out this week or things you're up to? No, just general, you know, subscribe to Athletic. <laughs> Keep it rolling. Uh, I hope you guys are having fun with your, like, decade recaps. Oh, well, I suppose we could do a decade recap as an episode, can't we? While we do respect international football and think we love a World Cup, have hope has his horsemen and thinks nothing else matters and thinks the World Cup is the pinnacle of the game. I love myself for Euros and think it's harder to win a European championship than it is to win a World Cup. And we will love AFCON here. We do try and push the butt out during international breaks. And as such, this week's conversation will be... Introduce it. It's your idea, bro. I don't even know what the idea is. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's 2019 and, you know... Carl kind of suggested that, uh, you know, people are doing their end of the decade lists and all that kind of stuff. Best albums of the two, 2010s, best movies of the 2010s. Well, why don't we just talk about football from 2010 to 2019? It's a good idea. It's just like what happened in the decade, our thoughts from 2010 up until now. There's still a month left, so maybe there's like one Ballon d'Or winner we don't have, but they're basically all Messi and Ronaldo anyway. So, <laughs> it, yeah, so we're just going to talk about football from 2010 up until now. So starting in 2010, I was 19 and 20. So my memory is going to be a bit sketchy from back then. But the main thing that pops out is a World Cup in Africa that mm -hmm. people seem to hate. But I kind of like. <laughs> I, I've, I've always maintained the, the World Cup 2010 was utterly unique. A lot of people don't like the, the 2010 World Cup. Sorry, I was trying to be like a vuvuzela over your point. <laughs> <laughs> because of that. And I think well, one, the, the really interesting thing about the 2010 World Cup was there was no great European narrative to it, really, until right until the end. 
So what you saw in the 2010 World Cup was the large, well, more or less, the wholesale defeat of some of the classic European superpowers. So France get knocked out in the group stages, as do Italy, who are the holders, get knocked out in the group stages. Germany were playing, they got to the semi-finals, but they were playing typically un-German football. England get knocked out around the, the 16. Um, the Netherlands, a team that historically, as Uncle Paul has said on this podcast, the Netherlands have cursed one of the footballing gods and therefore are cursed to never win a World Cup, finally get into another World Cup final. Spain, who'd never truly done it on the international stage, get into a World Cup final. It was the end of traditional footballing hegemonies and the beginnings of new ones. So mm. everything that we thought we knew about 90s football more or less came to a crashing end in 2010. Uh, you know, also the sort of collapse of Brazil in a you know fairly rudimentary quarterfinal defeat to the Netherlands. And, and what you got was was new football, new tactics, new ideas, new footballing nations at the top. Ghana get into a quarterfinals. Uruguay, you know, the beginning of the Uruguayan era of footballing dominance. Mm -hmm. The 2010 World Cup was interesting because it was a World Cup not in Asia or South America or Europe. And as such, the football was not of those sort of traditional World Cups. It was utterly unique. And, you know, he, had, he, has, he has a really strong flavour that some people don't like. Because, you know, some people don't like spice. Some people do love spice. And I, I love 2010 World Cup because it, I think the 2010 World Cup was the first World Cup I ever saw where I went, oh, that's a football tactic. I liked it because it was in Africa. Like the vibe that, that I felt from like the South Africans and all the all the teams that were there. It was just like, it was a fun vibe. Like if, if you kind of contrast it with maybe the World Cup that we just had, because I feel like Brazil kind of had some of those same elements, but the the Russian World Cup, some of the stadiums were kind of empty and like it was just kind of vibeless. So you had to kind of make your own vibe at the house. Mm -hmm. I remember the 2010 World Cup and you turned it on. It was just like the vibe was already there. All you had to do was just kind of sit down and enjoy it if you wanted to. And that, that was fun. But as a Ghanaian, how can you look at that fondly? It's the best Ghana's ever done in the World Cup, and it'll be the best Ghana will do for maybe a generation. I think the interesting thing for me about the 2010 World Cup was that was the first tournament where England got eliminated and I didn't cry immediately afterwards. I went, cool. All right, then. I'm not crying. I think maybe I've matured. Maybe I don't. I'm not going to be utterly ruined by football anymore. And then Ghana get knocked out in that circumstance. And I just start crying. I was just like, oh, man. So I, I finally figured out, no matter what happens, I'm always going to cry at football. It's always going to find a way to get me and ruin my life. Um, and yeah, in, in the same way that English football fans fondly remember Italian 90, I think Ghanaian football fans uh, and football fans from from parts of Africa will fondly remember the World Cup 2010. Okay, so also in club football that year, we had Chelsea won the, the Premier League. I'll put a shout out there just because I was like, drop was greatest season oh um, man but, he was incredible <laughs> that year but and i mean he, he did it while at the the afcon so i think he scored 29 goals in a season where he was at afcon but that's the end of the, the most important part of 2010 Mourinho's inter treble half hope is currently not here and we're, we've we've mentioned him and we're waiting for half hope to appear because we now mentioned Mourinho's greatest triumph but <laughs> yeah i mean i i, I into milan won the treble to defeat Bayern Munich, who were looking like they were going to get a treble as well. This Inter Milan side was, I mean, I've, I've always said it, how Wesley Schneider didn't win the Ballon d'Or that year, I will never know because he was truly the best football player on the planet. I think the best the best football players on the planet that year were Wesley Schneider, then Frank Ribéry, then Iniesta. For some strange reason in 2010, they put the Milan derby, like a very early Milan derby on... It was August or September, but for some reason it was on for on um, BBC Three, so it was, for, it was available for broadcast on on UK television. They never showed another game of football, Italian football, on like that. And I was thinking two things: one, Pato had phenomenal dribbling ability that I hadn't seen before, and two, I went, Inter's going to win this at a cakewalk. They're going to win the Champions League at a cakewalk because that Milan derby was Wesley Snyder's first interaction with that first team. Apparently, he sort of like rocked up on the team well, like a day before on training. I went, Hi, I'm Wesley. How are you doing? I'm going to be running things. And they were amazing. Uh, that was the apex of, of, of Mourinho's abilities because that was what, again, every decade doesn't really start until maybe two or three years into the decade and we figure out what's going on. But at that point in time, Mourinho's system of just, we're going to make sure we've got a very, very strong unit of five and then the attacking unit will take care of itself. To put Wesley Schneider behind Diego Melito 
and Samuel Eto'o playing in, you know, sometimes who played wide right. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. That inter-team was head and shoulders above nearly every other team in Europe at that year. Uh, and as I have now written for the Athletic, uh, they owed a little bit of fortune in the 3-1 victory against Barcelona. So if hope was here, hope would tell about how, how Inter Milan absolutely cast aside Barcelona 3-1 in the first leg of the Champions League. I think I'm going to be, you know, everyone knows how I feel about Mourinho. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my version of the story, which is the thing that is often overlooked about that Champions League tie against Barcelona was the fact that uh, a volcano exploded, erupted in Iceland. Uh, and because of the eruption of the volcano, Barcelona couldn't fly to... That Italy. one with the long name? Yep. Barcelona could not fly to Italy. So they had to travel via bus. They arrived two days late. They trained like absolute rubbish before the game. And they got absolutely smoked in the first 45 minutes. By the time they managed to get back in the, other, uh, in the second leg, it was too late. Also, bear in mind, they missed a hatful of chances in the second leg. Yes, well, the in- second leg, they had 10 men into Yep. And they still did it. So yeah, that, is, yo, that's 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 one of the defining moments of 2010 when Mourinho's running down the inter or and he's Victor running Valdez on the bus is... on the pitch and Victor Valdez tries to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I love Mourinho, man. Like classic moment. Classic I think, moment. Yeah, if 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 you want to talk about some of those the most important figures of this decade of football are Cristiano Ronaldo, Lino Messi, Jose Mourinho. Pep Guardiola, Pep. and now Jurgen Klopp. But we haven't got to Jurgen Klopp yet because it's still 2010. Mm. So we'll get to that in a bit. That's that's 2010. Is there any other thing that happened in 2010 that's worth noting? 2010 was the last year Wayne Rooney was one of the top 10 players on the planet. So very famously, uh, at, at the start of that year in January, Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney finished that season, 2009-2010, um, with 34 goals for Manchester United. He was scoring a lot of headed goals. Antonio Valencia dropped the shoulder, crossed it in. Uh, but before gets, he gets injured in the first leg in the quarterfinal against Bayern Munich, looks like he has an ankle injury. Looked like he'd be out for three, at least a month. And then apparently, as we now realise, before the second leg, Ferguson asked him, does he fancy it? Rooney went, yeah, if you, I, I reckon I can run and play maybe 45 minutes. Medical staff at Manchester United told Rooney he can play, but he can only run in straight lines. And if you think about how utterly preposterous that is to tell a football player to play a Champions League game only in in, in straight lines. Rooney plays the first half. They go a goal up. Nani gets it. It looks like maybe Fergie's going to find a way to get past his Bayern Munich side. Rooney goes off injured. Uh, And then obviously, Ian Robin scores one of the greatest goals I've ever seen scored against my football team. Amazing. United go out on away goals. Bayern Munich get to the semi-final, uh, get to the final, lose to Inter. Bayern Munich were the second best team in Europe at the time. I think United weren't pro- probably weren't far off that standard, but they were relying a lot on Wayne Rooney to be incredible. But that was maybe the last we ever saw of peak Wayne Rooney because Rooney was never the same after that ankle injury. Um, Rooney goes to that World Cup, has a terrible World Cup. Emil Heskey went to that World Cup, let's not forget. Um <laughs> And yeah, I, I think I think that's maybe the last we ever saw of Wayne Rooney, top ten player in the world. Um, Could we we can make the same argument for Fernando Torres? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's very fair to say that was probably the last year we ever saw of, of peak Fernando Torres. So mm. Spain Spain won that World Cup. Torres was had just gone to Chelsea. He went to Chelsea the following year. Yes. I think it was January twenty eleven. He was about to go to Chelsea. And right. I think even at that World Cup, Fernando Torres was not the world-beating player we'd seen before because the muscle injuries right. were beginning to pile up. So so 2011, so we started off with Torres to Chelsea for 50 million, which might have been the most expensive signing in English football. Correct. So we, we kick it off with that. Luis Suarez goes to Liverpool, but we might touch that a little bit later. And I believe that's when Barcelona beat Manchester United in the Champions League final. Yes, yes, it was. So it was the part two of <laughs> that, uh, the Champions League final in Wembley this time, and it was a procession. Uh, this, <laughs> this one, I remember watching that final. I was working in a, in a, as a bartender, and the game was on behind me. I was just watching Barcelona absolutely tear at Manchester United. Will, noble things. Dimitar Berbatov didn't start that final. Wayne Rooney got a goal to bring it to 1-1, but that was about it. Uh, Rio Fernandes talked about that final in depth recently. 
about one how Sergio Busquets used like, like basically shit talked the entire game. And basically, Englander, terrible Englander. You don't know what you're doing. We're so much better than you. And Emery was like, yeah, safe. Okay. And also, I think there was comments from him and uh, Nemanja Vidic about how they the plan was to try and beat up Messi, mm-hmm. but they couldn't get close to him. They said <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't grab his shirt. He was so so much better. David Villa was incredible as well, and also Pedro scored the front three of Pedro, David Villa, uh, and Messi. All three scored, and it, isn't it cool that Pedro scored in the twenty eleven Champions League final, and he's still kind of scoring for Chelsea now? Not not quite, man. <laughs> it's over it's over for this man sorry ah, I'm trying man. to think of what else happened in, in 2012 then or, or 2011 sorry Manchester United won that league yep yes they did Um. so the theory the, the long standing theory for, for a lot of fans was basically that Champions League final and Ferguson seeing how big the gap was between his Manchester United side that won the league and Barcelona was Ferguson quietly going you know what I'm probably going to have to retire soon. I'm not going to be able to get win another Champions League, really. That was the last time you guys were in a Champions League final, no? Yes, it was. Um, and obviously, we can't we can't understate. This was also the beginning the the beginning of the rise of Manchester City. Yep. So around about this time, City had just begun to crash into the Champions League spaces. Had just begun to get past Spurs in that battle for fourth and assert themselves as as, as a Champions League team. I'm trying to look up who they bought in 2011. Who who, 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 did they, who did they buy? They bought Aguero that year. 40 million. They act like he was cheap. 40 million in 2011. That's a lot of money. That was a lot of money. And he scored a brace, I think, immediately in his debut against Swansea. 16 Aguero is more scary than number 10 Aguero. The same way number 17 Hazard is more scary than number 10. But that's good to hear. You, you a Kobe 8 or a Kobe 24? Uh, I'm a Kobe eight. Yeah, fair play. All right, but that's because I was, but that's I was a little kid at the time. So that's when like Kobe and Vince Carter had the little rivalry. So I didn't really mess with number eight Kobe at all. <laughs> so, 2010 that... was the season where they spent all the money. All of these transfers are hits. They bought seven players. Boateng didn't work out, but the idea that you buy him from Hamburg, Hamburg for ten million, check mark. Yaya Toure, twenty four million, check mark. David Silva, 24, checkmark. Kolarov, Lazio, 16, checkmark. Balotelli, eh, but kind of. So 24 million checkmark. James Milner from Aston Villa, 18 million. I'll give you a check for that. And Eden Dzeko, 27 million from Wolfsburg in January of 2011. Checkmark. Whoever ran their transfers in 2010, 2011, like, give them a raise. I'm sure they're well paid, but yeah. Then we get to 2012. And, uh, you know. Chelsea won the won the won the Champions League. <laughs> that is that that has to be one of the 2011-2012 is like the peak as a as a football fan for me, I think. Every leg I had doubt. Well, tell a lie. Every round except Benfica. Every other one, I, I wasn't sure. The Napoli leg in the in the round of 16. It, it was Benfica in the quarterfinal. Then you get the the tie with, with Barcelona in the semifinal. Just how that went with John Terry getting the red card in the second leg and Busquets scoring. I, I'm forgetting who scored the the other goal. Was it Fabregas who scored the other goal? No, it was Iniesta. And they go up on aggregate, and then they have an extra man. And then right before halftime, Lampard puts the ball through to Ramirez. Ramirez chips Valdez. I'm going crazy. Halftime. And then it's just an onslaught, and Messi hits the bar. He misses a penalty. And then... For whatever reason, Di Matteo decides, let's take off Drogba and let's put on Torres. And I'm like, nah, not this guy, man. I don't want this guy. He comes on. Chelsea are down to 10 men. Barcelona have the ball for at least 85% of that match. Ashley Cole kicks it deep. And the way that you're watching it on television, you're like, okay, Valdez is going to get this and the ball's going to come back. But for whatever reason, Fernando Torres decides, I'm just going to stand up here. So Cole kick, kicks it and you see this white, Shirt, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? <laughs> and Torres collects the ball, and there's so much time that you're thinking, oh god, <laughs> that he's gonna miss. So he's he has the ball, he rounds Valdez, and you're like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> if you exist, 
let this man score because an open goal isn't good enough for Torres at, 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 in that moment. You're still not sure whether he can score. He puts it in, and yeah, people went crazy. It's still the most overrated goal. In the, it's the most overrated goal of the decade. I know you hate the word overrated, but it is what it is because Chelsea were going through without that. But just the moment was was pretty good. And then the final man, the hour of DDA drug bus, just uh, it's a really good story. What, 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 what was your thoughts watching that? whole Champions League run from Chelsea. It's like, it's one of the most incredible things that happens in the decade. Maybe Leicester winning the Premier League. But all the other Champions League winners, you would think, all right, that makes sense. Chelsea? I mean... That it, that Chelsea team winning. It was an absolute like, rebellion, wasn't it? It, it, <laughs> uh, it Absolute rebellion from, from, from the, the dressing room, removing AVB. <laughs> which I think sort of... Kind of gets forgotten that Vs Boas was once the Chelsea manager and was swiftly ejected. How they looked like they weren't even going to get out of the group stages until Di Matteo comes in and they revert to this Mourinho-esque style of football. I I, I've, I think I've said it on this podcast before about how I won 56 quid on the final because, yeah, I went, Didier Grubb was going to score. This game's going to go to penalties and Chelsea going to win because there's absolutely no way Chelsea aren't winning this Champions League. The narrative... And, you know, there's absolutely no footballing reason why Chelsea are supposed to be winning these games, but they're winning all of them anyway. Utterly bizarre tournament. I've also spoken on this podcast before about how that Champions League had severe knock-on effects for the rest of the decade. Mm. You know, Eden Hazard doesn't end up at Chelsea if Chelsea don't win that. Bayern Munich probably don't go off and buy Gertz and, and destroy most of Dortmund if Chelsea don't win that. Mourinho and other members of the European elite don't end up in the places they end up if Chelsea don't win that Champions League final. That Champions League final is, is one of my favourite sliding doors moments in, in recent European football. Who wins the Premier League that year? Manchester City with the last kick. Aguero. Again, yeah. so this season is so utterly bizarre because if, you know, let, let's say Manchester United win that instead of Aguero get the goal. There's a very, very good chance Alex Ferguson goes, you know what? That's me done. No worries. Which probably means that Robin Van Persie ends up at Manchester City instead of ending up at Manchester United Ooh. as well. Uh, and in terms of who, who ends up as Alex Ferguson's successor the next season, there's a very, very good chance Pep Guardiola ends up at Manchester United instead of ending up eventually at Bayern Munich. There are numerous things from that season that make absolutely no sense. And this is about the last year of... Uh, Klopp won the Bundesliga in 2011 yes. and 2012. Yes, he did. And then the next year we get Der Klassiker in the Champions League final and Bayern haven't lost the Bundesliga since. Yep. So it's a pivotal year, 2012, once you think about it. It, it is. It is the, so, like I said, not every decade starts when a decade starts. And I think 2012 is the last year of old football. And I think from yeah, 2013... If, if, if you think, because Spain won Euro 20... Mm-hmm. They won Euro 2008, World Cup 2010, and that last kind of whatever they had left in 2012. The the tail end of last decade was Pep Guardiola, tiki-taka, possession mm-hmm. football. And you bear in mind, by 2011, by 2012, that's when we begin to see the rise of pressing. And the 2013 Champions League final would be the start, you think? I think so. Of like that kind of German Geigen pressing style. Oh yeah, <laughs> rock and roll football. If you're, <laughs> if you're a club, that final was in Wembley as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, right. Iron Robin makes amends for what he did, uh, missing a penalty in the 2012 Champions League final. He gets the winner. Was Lewandowski already sold, or was it Goethe that was already sold? Goethe was already sold. Goethe was already sold, but was injured. So watch that game from the stands. Right, it was, an- it was announced. <laughs> <laughs> it was announced just before Dortmund's, I want to say their quarterfinal game. It was announced just before one of the Champions League games, the second leg. Bayern Munich announced it and Dortmund went, why did you announce it then? That's a dick move for all intents and purposes. <laughs> Lewandowski starts that Champions League final for Dortmund and loses. He scores a fantastic goal that's disallowed for a handball. I remember watching that game with my dad and going, the quality level of that Champions League final was so far and beyond anything I'd seen in the Premier League that season. That was Bayern's treble. Jupanga's won that tri- got that treble. He update Bayern absolutely destroyed Barcelona <laughs> on the way there. It was the remarkable. Was just... oh no, what, was 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 that the year that uh Borussia Dortmund beat Real Madrid like four 0 Uh four one. Robert four Lewandowski, one. Like Lewandowski. Four goals. 
right. Uh, and that was that was more or less the end of, of Mourinho at Real Madrid. A really interesting thing about that press conference after the game, the journalists were asking Mourinho, how does he feel about Lewandowski scoring four goals? Blah, blah, blah. And then Mourinho, but more or less, just explains everything about Lewandowski from a coaching perspective. Just, oh, we know this about Lewandowski. Look, I know when the ball comes in, Lewandowski likes to run at near post and then take it here and do this and do this and do this and do this. What do you want me to do? In true sort of Mourinho, when he snaps and just dumps on you how intelligent he is. But this was also probably, in hindsight, maybe the beginning of the end for Mourinho. So this is the end of his Hey, time. hey, no, 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 no. We still have 2014-15. Hey, and we haven't even got to the next season. The next season is fantastic. But anyway, uh, 2013, I'm trying to think of what else, man. Um, tell a lie. We said Torres might have been done in 20, what did we say, 2011, 2010? Mm-hmm. The 2013 Confederations Cup. I remember he was really good in that. Confederations Cup don't count. I'm just saying. Him and I think um, Fred. I think that's the tournament that, like, we'll get to Fred and Joe in a bit. But the 2013 Confederation. Like, Torres, whenever he played for Spain, it seems like he always got golden boots. But, yeah, that was the last season of Sir Alex as well. It was indeed. Yeah. It was the final year. I'll let you take it. Saying as Robin it's... Van Persie th- comes to Manchester United. Ferguson goes, you know what? I'm not losing in the last minute anymore. <laughs> Robin Van Persie was astounding that season. Mm. In what, what, in hindsight, was a, just a really weird season of Premier League football. So United, everyone agrees United weren't a very good side that year, but they won the Premier League after absolute canter. They won it by, they had it sewn up by April. One of the earliest times Manchester United had won a title. Tactically, they weren't especially robust, but more or less were relying on individual brilliance from players that had been there and done that so Rio Fernand and Emmanuel Village were like yeah fine we've done this forever we can do this we can defend standing on our heads same similar thing with Edmund Van Assar Carrick was being the midfield screen that you'd always expect Rain Rooney was being that was like the last legs of this incredibly versatile player the interesting thing about Rooney was after Ronaldo left Manchester United won that Champions League in 2008 and that 2008-2009 cha- United team was so good because Rooney was so adaptable and fluid and once Ronaldo left, Ferguson went, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have to turn this guy into an out-and-out number nine. And then when Van Persie came in and was a better number nine than Rooney, Rooney had to go back to being that versatile player, which didn't work. Because once you make someone an out-and-out number nine, from a footballing perspective and also from a human perspective, it does things to your ego. Um, and Rooney was never quite the same. But they were fantastic that year. They were fantastic in, in a way that they, they were fantastic, but also weren't. That, that mm. wasn't a very good Premier League winning side, but they were better than everyone else. Manchester City were particularly disappointing that season. Mancini was not getting anything out of that squad. Nasri was supposed to be an attacking fulcrum, didn't really do it. Mancini had multiple bust-ups with Balotelli, and I believe Balotelli had this, basically came out and said, Mancini needs to stop saying he's like a dad to me because I already have a dad, which I found was <laughs> particularly interesting. Um, Arsenal, again, were having those sorts of implosions where they only managed to finish fourth and above Spurs in the final day. Mm-hmm. And 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 that was that. Do you want to talk about the Euros? What, are we still in 2012? No, we're in 2013 now. Sorry, we didn't talk about the right. Euros, did we? Did we? Barely. Do you remember anything from Euro 2012 that was worth? That no, was it, was, worth? It, was just, it was just Spain being fantastic. Italy looked like they had. You know, this was. I think that was the beginning of when English football fell in love with Perlo. Um, Roy Hodgson took England to the Euros because Fabrica, was that a four 0 final or three 0 It was the four 0 final. It was the one where yeah. I could see it was. Uh, I could see has told the referee to whistle early and said, where's the respect for Italy? 2012 was the beginning of the Juve run. If we think about Serie A, I think 2011, 2012, and they haven't lost since. And 2013 might have been the beginning of the Paris Saint-Germain run because Lyon had it in the 2000s. And then it went through like, because 2011, 2012, Montpellier won because that's the Olivier Giroud season. And then since then, it's been PSG with like the little Monaco thing. And Spanish football, I'm not the best on that one. I'm pretty sure 2013 was Barcelona. And then 2013-14, we get the Atletico season. So if you want to go into 2013-14, Mourinho leaves Real Madrid and he ends up back at Chelsea. Um <laughs> And that season, it's a fun season if, if, if you're a, a Premier League football watcher. Kind of like a three-headed title race. You get the David Moyes stuff. Um, Liverpool v City with Chelsea somewhere in there. And 
full <laughs> You mean, man. You mean as hell. <laughs> no, but when Gerard's like, we don't let this slip, and then he slips. That shit kills me every time. <laughs> Ah, we don't let this slip. Yes, you do, man. Yes, you do. It's, um, it is remarkable. The more, the more, I cannot. I still can't get my head around it. And I've said this before in this podcast. I've said this before in my podcast. If I was writing a film script about how a kid with a boyhood dream to win a Premier League title for Liverpool said, "We do not let this slip," and then he literally slipped for to let someone win, you wouldn't. They, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> Now, with the benefit of hindsight, Liverpool fans will say it wasn't it wasn't the Chelsea defeat that it was Chris Danbull that truly over, that truly undid them. Um, White Gale at this point. <laughs> yep, there's been some really really good literature recently about what Mourinho did in order to make sure Chelsea won, and how Ooh. Mourinho's game plan was basically slow down everything. So at, at the time of that season, Liverpool were, were making all these great wins because they were just starting faster than everyone else. They were frequently one or two no up in the first 15 minutes. And Mourinho, with a Chelsea side that wasn't at full strength. I mean, Mark Schwartz just started that game for Chelsea, if I remember correctly. Check out injured in the, I want to say in the nil-nil yep. against Atletico in the semi-final of the Champions League, but I might be wrong there. Yep. And Mourinho was basically going to slow this right the fuck down. And basically, mm. he spent much of that week talking to Chelsea players and going, look, think about it. You are still technically in this title race. Look how you're considered not a threat. Look how Liverpool are basically treating you as a joke. Go out there and spoil their party. There's some really... Uh, Miguel Delaney from The Independent has written some really, really good things about what's happened and how, you know, even... I've said some terrible things about Mourinho here um, online and whatever, but when when Mourinho wants it and in one in a, just a one-off big game, Mourinho he can still... Lose. He, Mourinho, if he wants to, not lose. And ruin a party, he can do it. He can still do it when he wants to. So, do you remember his post-match interview when they asked him, "What did you do?" He was like, "It's about nothing. <laughs> it's about winning." <laughs> he, said, he, he said, "He said, what, what he, he said, uh, ask Jamie Redknapp. He's a brilliant football brain." <laughs> uh, and he will explain you everything. <laughs> Just say. <it. laughs> Ah, he can't Jamie read that I mean, the interesting thing brain. there the interesting there is everyone talks about how Liverpool slipped and, and bottled oh. the title if you really look at it Chelsea were best placed out of all of the teams to win that title and Chelsea didn't Chelsea defeated all of the top six yep at least once yep uh, and Chelsea were undone by the same thing Brendan Rodgers' team was undone by the fact they couldn't beat the small teams the Sunderland lost they lost to Aston Villa by a Fabian Delft back heel yep it was like, yeah, it was bad. They just dropped point. I think they drew with Norwich. Yep. It was just, yeah, it was bad. Like Chelsea actually bottled that one. But, you know, it's a fun narrative to go it's with. It's funny like to say, you know, Gerald. Liverpool, right. And Man City, that's yeah. their second Premier League of the decade. So title, that was good. Uh, from Pellegrini. And then we get a World Cup. So all of that. And then the best World Cup of the decade, basically. I mean, I, I, I know this is like your favorite World Cup. So I'll just kind of let you take it. 2014 was probably is my favorite World Cup ever. It oh man, it was just so much fun. Some of the best goals I've ever seen in World Cup football. I I, I truly began to understand what football tactics were and appreciate little things like that. We saw the absolute destruction of of Spain, which that's still funny to me. <laughs> I you know I I didn't particularly like that Spanish team or or that Barcelona side. Uh, probably because they stopped Manchester United from winning trophies. It was 5-1, right? The, the, yep, the 5-1 against the Netherlands and then 3-1 against Chile. Again, it, so that World Cup was the beginning of pressing. So the possession style of football of Spain getting absolutely ruined by a high-pressing <laughs> Chile side. Sort of the genesis of, of Alexis Sanchez and his Tyro running. Germany playing fantastic football. England getting knocked out in the group stages. <laughs> Uh, Costa Rica with that incredible run to the quarterfinals. Uh, Louis van Gaal trying to get this unfancy Netherlands side to a final. Final? Semi-final. Messi, mm -hmm. Lionel Messi's best chance of winning the World Cup. Pope gives a lot of nonsense for Messi not doing much or never really turning on the, in a World Cup semi-final or in a World Cup final. But like Messi was the best player. There was a lot of one of those weird things where Messi got the golden ball for the best player at that final for at the World Cup and people went, why? He's only got it because of Adidas. And then you look at the stats. And Messi was the best player at that World Cup 
by a so, long way. So, upon, so this whole decade, Messi never won anything for Argentina. Uh, nope. And it's a it's, it's largely Higuain's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's not like they didn't have strikers. I mean, you could have played Aguero. They had options. They did. Ralph Hogstein's book, That's Reboot, on, on the birth of the new birth of, of German football was fantastic on basically how Germany went from not playing particularly good football in 2001 to playing this amazing, energetic, pressing football where Mario Goetz has scored a goal that he's been practicing since the age of nine in the World Cup final. Mario Goetz, there's a big story of a player who started part of this decade looking at one of the best players in the world and it's ending the decade as... A false nine still for Dortmund, I think. Not first team choice. If he is first team, Dortmund don't tend to win a game. Isn't that? <laughs> yeah, like, that, that's kind of accurate. Quite sad. Didn't he? Yeah. Have, he had like some autoimmune disease, or he's got, a, he's got a metabolism problem. I think it's fair to say he always looks as if he's got puppy fat. If you know that term, yeah. So it, it can be hard for him to keep off weight and and to keep focus and be as athletic as he would like to be. But that, that uh, World Cup was incredible, and I think some of the lessons bro. from that World Cup were basically, this is it. This decade will now be defined by pressing and will be defined by teams that can play aggressive, helter-skelter football. Can we take one moment to discuss the most infamous game of this decade? Sure thing. 7-1. Yes, please. My Lord in heaven. We've always wanted to, <laughs> we've always wanted to do this on, on, on the podcast where we just simply record the podcast, press play, and watch the 7-1 again, and we'll do this one day. <laughs> Uh, and there's an excellent sec- there's an excellent segment in Das Reboot about the seven one and how mm-hmm. Germany went into that game and we're very much like okay you know it, it's Brazil it's a, a Brazil World Cup we need to take this very very seriously and then the moment Brazil come out holding Neymar tops <laughs> captain captain David Luiz singing uh, and Bra- oh, Germany were very much like but Neymar's not dead what's <laughs> Uh, it was like he died. <laughs> Germany had a very had a very had a very clear game plan because they noticed some problems with Brazil, how unbalanced they were, particularly with Marcello. Uh-huh. Uh, so Marcello, if you watch if you watch that game, anyone wants I think the game is you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Watch yeah. the very first kickoff and look how far up the pitch Marcello is. Look like look how far up the pitch he is from the Brazil kickoff. He's playing left wing. He's not playing left back. He has, there was no Thiago Silva, right? There is no Thiago Silva as well, which was, is another yeah. thing that is is overlooked in terms of the Neymar thing. It was mm-hmm. not only was Neymar injured and they were feeling the effects of that, but also Thiago Silva, who, for intensive purposes, was the best centre back in the world at that right. time. And and I think Thiago Silva is secretly been one of the best centre backs in the world the entire decade. Just no one really paid attention because he's in Paris. Yeah, um, Thiago Silva, but you know, is the guy who tells David Luiz where to stand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did. They had Marcelo and Maicon starting mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. Two fullbacks. That that's dangerous. Yep. <laughs> I see. I, I haven't watched the game back in a, in a bit, but I we I need to. Germany with five five goals after thirty minutes, basically. Yep. And I I remember. I've said this before. Every World Cup, I put money on Brazil winning, and I said I need to stop doing this because Brazil don't like going to win a World Cup. Uh, and I remember I was going into that game. I sat next to one of my best friends, and I was like, "Yeah, Brazil's going to win this World Cup." Uh, and then the team lineups came announced, and we saw the BBC graphic, and we saw Germany's team, and we saw Brazil's team, and Brazil's midfield came up, and I went, "What? Who are these players?" And then Germany's midfield of Tony Cruz, this one, this one, this one, and my friend looks at me and goes, "Are you sure Brazil's going to win?" Oh no, we fine. And there was <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a gap between the third goal and the fifth goal for him to say I told you so. Nah. Again, in a very similar thing, much like the you know the more recent game I watched that ended nine 0 Just they they get to a point where all the goals are going in so quickly. Mm. You go, you just go. Oh, I told you. Wait, what the hell is going on? So yeah. Well, now that I think about it. Brazil won a World Cup in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. They didn't win one in the 80s. They won in the 90s and the 2000s. So this is only the second decade that they haven't won a World Cup. Brazil's footballing advantage is, is rapidly going away as, as countries with bigger economies uh, and uh, as, as the industrialization of football continues. Think about it. Brazil got knocked out of the last World Cup by Belgium. Where mm-hmm. were Belgium in 2010? Where are Belgium going to be in 10 years, though? Well, this is very... Brazil's very always going to be good, so... 
Yeah. This is this is like Belgium. The start of Belgium is like maybe 2012, 2013. The maturation of Hazard, De Bruyne, Lukaku's coming, companies there. I think Euro 2020 and I guess World Cup 2022. That's going to be kind of like how Spain did in 2010, 2012. That might be how Belgium get down. But yeah, we'll see. It's it's now or never for, for this generation right. of Belgium. And and I don't know which Belgian players are coming through after this because when was the last time you saw Yanis I boss a game? <laughs> what what happened to that too? Added <laughs> uh, that Yanis Jazz. Um all right. So damn, we're only at 2014. We still got a few years left, but let's speed through this. 2015. Yeah, 2015, man. Barcelona trouble, MSN. I think. Woohoo! It was it was MSN. This was when Neymar Peak, finally, peak Messi, bro. For you, I uh, mean, peak Messi was was so was it 2013 where he finished the calendar the, year of 91 yeah, goals? Yeah, like 90 goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was ridiculous. I mean, yeah, MSN, MSN. MSN Barcelona. I really enjoyed watching because I just enjoy watching the team scoring goals rather than strangling. Do them. you give Enrique any credit, or are you one yes. of the ones that says like a a, a dog could have won with that team? Well, they couldn't because they didn't win after that, did they? That's that's the last. Champions League they've won, isn't it? So I'm not going to say a dog could have won afterwards. I think Enrique, yes, he had three of the best forwards in the world at the time, but it take it takes a certain amount of nous. It maybe not tactical nous, but perhaps ego massaging, whatnot, to get those three members of of playing personnel to to play evenly. And this was this was this was very much the appearance of Neymar and everyone going, oh wait, Neymar's not just a YouTube player, but Neymar is one of the best players in the world. Uh, Rakitic looked amazing in midfield. There's also probably the last time Paul Pogba was one of the top 10 players in the world as well. Oh, no. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Paul so going Pogba. to Manchester United ruined him. I'm not going to say ruined him. I think... It, I think. <laughs> I will. Pogba's trajectory at that time. So let's bear in mind that Champions League Juventus side had the BBC. It had Perlo, Pogba, and I want to say... Arturo Vidal. Yes, as well. Uh, Patrice Everett, left back. It, it was an incredibly well-selected. Juventus side and sort of the play, the playing staff involved in it was really put together. Pogba had a platform to do whatever he wanted because he had Perlo behind him to do stuff and he had Marquisio next to him to do legs. Now, yeah, this was very much everyone going, oh, this Paul Pogba guy is amazing. This was also me as a Manchester United fan who's just seen, you know, Van Gaal play with Nick Powell as United get knocked out in the group stage. He's got, oh, God, why have we sold Paul Pogba? Paul Pogba's everything I need. This is also yeah, like peak funny. Vine era, by the way. It was Peaky Viner. Uh, 2015. Who wins the Premier League in 2015? Chelsea. Chelsea. Chelsea won it at a canter. The league was more or less sewn up by January. Um, yeah. Because they bought Cesc Fabregas and Cesc Fabregas went, right, I'm just going to pass it to Diego Costa. And yeah, they bought Fabregas, Costa and Felipe Luis. Yep. By the way, we didn't really talk about 2014. The Champions League was won by Madrid, but I don't think we really understood what that team was about until we get to like 2016. Yes. Because they, they won that one Champions League with Gareth Bale, and you think, oh, okay. But then in the back of people's minds, there's this idea that nobody's going to win a Champions League twice in a row. So Barca win, and it's like, cool. Then Madrid win again, it's like, cool. But then we get into this era of like just Madrid dominance in the Champions League, which I find it's one of the more peculiar things. How would you describe this? Three Champions Leagues in a row. Three P. It's one of the, the more weird things in American man. sport. So very interesting thing I wanted to we kind of pushed past it quite quickly was mm-hmm. before the World Cup final 2014. Uh, Angel Di Maria was the second best player at World Cup as well. He was phenomenal for Argentina. There's a very good segment in the Players Tribune, his Players Tribune article about how he was injured for the final for Argentina against Germany uh, and was considering taking a painkilling injection before he played against Germany before he got a letter addressed him from Real Madrid and said, you are not allowed to take a painkilling injection because you're our asset. Um, and we don't want you taking a painkilling injection to that could get you more injured because we fully intend to sell you so we can go buy James Rodriguez. Isn't that, that was in the letter. Uh, you're our asset and we protect, we intend to protect our asset so we can use it at a future point. Uh, isn't that terrifying? So that was, <laughs> so that, was that. you got to bear in mind, there was also this like little mini, in the, in the same way that I and Robin... Frank Rubri and, and Wesley Schneider were some of the best players in the world in 2010. There was a little patch, 2013, 2014, 2015, when Angel Di Maria under Jose Mourinho's management was secretly the best, one of the best players in the world as well. He's kind of secretly one of the best players this season too. Yeah, 
he's he's a, he's a winger that doesn't mind doing the nasty work of tracking back his runner, and he's also very very good in, in like attacking midfield and threading through balls as well. Uh, there was one pass he had in the Champions League this season to Mbappe. Jesus. But you know, United fans don't like him because he didn't really react well after his house got robbed. <laughs> sixty was it? Sixty million y'all spent. Yep. Damn. And then that Leicester game. You remember the Leicester game? Oh. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. We'll get to that. In a bit. Uh, anyway, that was yeah, 20, but okay. Well, we're, we're in twenty fifteen now. Twenty fifteen. Yeah. 2015, MSN was amazing. Juventus were fantastic. This was also the apex of Juventus getting to places. I think this was also the apex of basically everyone going, oh, Perlo's amazing. He's got a beard and likes wine. <laughs> Yo, uh, and, oh, okay, fine. And it was, also, it was also probably the birth of football Twitter as we understood it. Mm, loads, loads. This is when you saw loads of football accounts, you know, called the Register or... or, or Mourinho Holic. Yes, it was. Yeah, that was 2015 was more or less the birth of that. Um. All right. But speaking of Mourinho, it's the end of Mourinho in 2015 because we get the Chelsea implosion. He's sacked, not like mutual consent sacked from Chelsea in like December finished, 2015. It was 16th in the league table. I know it wasn't good. They were they... unbelievably rubbish. Is still undescribable. They just <laughs> playing. <laughs> They sacked him after he lost to Leicester. Mm-hmm. I feel like if everyone knew what was going to happen with Leicester, that loss wouldn't have seemed so bad, and he might have got another match. Riyad Mahrez is fantastic in that game. If you knew that Leicester were going to end up being Premier League champions, which was an unfathomable thing at the time. There were 5,000 to 1 odds at the at the start of the season. If we knew what was going to happen, does Mourinho get another match? Maybe. And if he wins, does he get sacked? Because... He got sacked, and then they they beat Sunderland. Like Ivanovic scored in like the first two two minutes. I said, like, "Da Where has this been?" Mourinho anyway. needed to get sacked. Chelsea needed to get Mourinho. Then the evil had to be defeated. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we've had peculiar things happen. Chelsea winning the Champions League, but not even. This is just totally wild. Leicester City winning the Premier League, or the the coming out party of Ngolo Kante. You already mentioned Riyad Mahrez, the likes of Jamie Vardy. They won that league playing very similar football to how Atletico Madrid won La Liga. 4-4-2. A hard-working 4-4-2. In fact, as far as I understand it, Ranieri showed Leicester clips of Atletico playing and went, can you do this? Um, And they did. The interesting about that Leicester title win was there were two very different Leicester sides. So there was the the side at the start of the season that were beating teams 3-2, 5-2, just high-intensity, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. And then they, yeah, then they got, then they racked up a bunch of 1-0 wins. The story that gets told is Ranieri told Leicester if they could keep a clean sheet, he'd take them all out for pizza. Um, the other much more serious allegation is that there was something special in their water. Michael's My, secret stuff? Yeah, some Michael's secret stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I think one one thing that gets missed out in that title winning season was just how weird that it wasn't just Leicester winning that Premier League. It's the fact they won the Premier League 10 points clear. Spurs finished third in a two horse race after that, you know, the battle of Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, amazing. And the fact that Willian pointing to the badge against Spurs in the middle of the game. <laughs> and then he like brushed it off. Uh... <laughs> Shout out to William, man. Uh, Spurs losing on the final day 5-1 against Newcastle who were relegated to finish third in a two-horse race. Manchester City finished fourth with 66 points because they basically they looked like they were doing quite well and then partly through the season they announced Pep Guardiola was coming in so Pellegrino was like safe I'm not bothered. United finished fifth with 66 points but on goal difference. Southampton finished sixth. Yeah that was the Pella Yeah. With 63 points. West Ham finished seventh. And Liverpool finished eighth. Stoke finished ninth. Chelsea finished tenth. Everton finished eleventh. It was Shout a good, like, utterly bizarre season. It was wild. Aston Villa finished bottom of the table and with Tim Sherwood as their manager. But also, I th- th- what I think Aston Villa got to the FA Cup final as well. Ooh, I don't remember the FA Cup final. Uh, it was <laughs> so weird. It was like one of the weirdest seasons. Or oh, was that Wigan? No, Wigan was was 2013. I know there's one of those. Oh, like, yeah, Wigan. That was, that was 2015. Let's get into 2016. Well, that was 2016, wasn't it? That was 2016. That was also Euros. Which... Portugal. Yeah. 
Portugal win a Euros without winning any group stage games. Jesus, all of that happened before we had a podcast? Yeah. That's a lot of sh- <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, Euro Portugal 2016. Get, Portugal get three draws in the group stages, beat Croatia in extra time, get another game via penalties, I want to say. Portugal didn't win a game in 90 minutes until the semi-final against Wales. See, this is I'm worried about that for next year. Like, I don't like this, the third place might qualify stuff. <laughs> if there's eight groups, just take the top two. So the Euros were in France. It, I went for that semi-final, Wales versus Did Portugal. Did you? Because I, I, remember, I remember, I remember you. I, I, I went because a friend went, well, think about it. It's, it's going to be the last tournament you can attend without worrying about getting in trouble. So why not go? So I went to that semi-final. Uh, uh, Deschamps. I will never forgive Deschamps for being that bad. Remember, Wales topped that group with England. Incredible. In- incredible football in tournament. It was also when Brexit happened. So Brexit happened, I think, a couple of days just before England get knocked out at the quarterfinal stages against Iceland. Boy. Uh, famous because after the game finished and Iceland knocked out England, Ian Wright on ITV said, I can't stop thinking about a film Space Jam. It's like someone stole England's talent. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 2016, also notable for the rise of Icelandic football. <laughs> the rise of Icelandic football. Um, but, yeah, Cristiano got his uh, his major international trophy, although he who shall not be named would contend that uh, he didn't play in the final, so he doesn't deserve the trophy. Wait, look at that. <laughs> he was like, did he play the whole final? How can you give him that trophy? He's shameless. But yeah, uh, Eder scores a great goal. He did one moment in the decades. You win a Euros. So shout out to him. I think it was uh, Koscielny makes a mistake. Lloris mm-hmm. can't save it. France lose a Euro in their in their backyard, I suppose. And this is when I've said, Didier Deschamps is a clown. <laughs> but as we'll find out two years later, jokes on Maybe me. not so much. So yeah, Champions League 2016. We get Madrid. They beat they beat Atletico in 2014. They beat Atletico in 2016. There you go. Forever the little brother. So they beat and then twenty and then 2017. That was against Juve when they had the purple kits and uh, Ronaldo had the incredible. I I don't don't even know what to call it, but the the hair that kind of like frosted tips. Yeah, that apparently means he's going to be fantastic, according to the Cristiano fans I know. they went three in a row. In terms of weird things, we've got Chelsea, we've got Leicester. A, a three-peat is, has got to be in there somewhere. Let's, let's, I mean, we can kind of skip past 2017. Outside of the fact what, that Monaco what won. 2017? What happened in 2017? You tell me who wins the league. Did Chelsea win in 2017? They did. Chelsea won. That was Conte. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I, I don't acknowledge Conte, though. 2017 is important for, for sort of late area of football. So three at the back, the, 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 the introduction of three at the back in the Premier League. Uh, Conte with what is almost the biggest winning streak we've seen in Premier League football history. Pep Guardiola not impressing us in his first season. He finishes third, which is his lowest result in a new season. And everyone's like, oh, Pep's not as good as everyone thinks he is. He's trying yeah. to do inverted fullbacks, but one of his fullbacks is Bakary Sagan and the other one's Gail Clichy. Jose Mourinho ends up as Manchester United manager and they win the Europa League in their first season. Paul Pogba returns to Manchester United. They win the Europa League, but they finish sixth. I I was not particularly... I was whelmed by Manchester United that season. Are you holding up three fingers right now? You should... I'm holding up two. The community shield doesn't count. (laughs) Um, And this is the... Is this the year of the Remondata? The 6-1? Yes. This one's very important because it has the 6-1, which... And I will go on record as saying has the best ten minutes of football you ever you that exists of a football this decade. No one this decade played better football for ten minutes than Neymar did in the ten minutes he played against PSG in that game. In goal, assist, win penalty, die, do or die moments. Like Messi is the best football player on the planet for this decade. Cristiano Ronaldo is the most effective player uh, in on international level. Uh, I'd say the best manager of this decade is Pep Guardiola. I'd say the second best manager of this decade is Jurgen Klopp. I'd say um, the best centre-back is this person and the best striker is this person. But in terms of you want 10 minutes and go, this is what football is all about, Neymar 10 minutes against PSG. And also, that's really important because that's when PSG go, okay, okay, all right, we're going to absolutely destroy the transfer market. (laughs) PSG are savage, man. In 2014... (laughs) 
they lost to Chelsea, so they're like, okay, fine, let's go get David Luiz. And then they lost in 2017. Then they go get Neymar. And there's another player in there where they're just like, fine, okay, we'll just take your best player. Yep. It's crazy what they do. 222 million euros in 2017 busted everything. Yep. And now it's 2018. And Neymar's at PSG. Coutinho is going to be on his way. For 150 million. To Barcelona. Uh, your man, Usman Dembele, has only just had a season of being good at Dortmund. And he's going to be off to Barcelona as well. That we are now living in a post Neymar transfer window, right. mm-hmm. and it's 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 really weird that Neymar is the most expensive football player in the world. He is the second best talent, most talented player on the on the planet. I'd say he's got more on ball talent than Cristiano Ronaldo does right now when we record yeah. this episode. And yet he's an afterthought. No one's talking about Neymar as one of the best players in the world right now. No one, everyone, you know, Neymar doesn't excite people in the same way. The same way we talked about uh, Thiago Silva maybe being the best center back. Yep. You can't be one of the best and play in a league that's going to be Uber Eats League. Oh, like, Half Hope has a point. I'm sorry, but we can make the the same argument for um, Verratti as well. He's been one of the best central midfielders, but you play in League R. We should also bring up the fact that not only did PSG take Neymar, they also brought another player on loan. Very important gentleman called Kylian Mbappe, who will be the future of football. Yes. In the same way, the next decade will be dominated by Mbappe. I can't wait, man. <laughs> I can't wait. This guy's so good, man. Let's talk about the 2018 World Cup. What so, happened in the 2018 World Cup, Carl? What stands out to you? It was just last year, and it feels like it was so long ago. I think the 2018 World Cup saw the most successful managers in that World Cup. Gareth Southgate, Roberto Martinez, Didier Deschamps. We've now seen this sort of quote-unquote millennial footballer this idea that especially international now it's less about how good a manager you are and and more about are you capable of having the interpersonal skills to talk to these players and get them to play at their level Mm. so Conte was quite popular at Italy because he managed to play blocks so he very much played uh, these are the boys I had at Juventus and I'm going to let them do the Juventus stuff and we'll probably get to a quarterfinal and then you saw Roberto Martinez Deschamps and Southgate going we're a good national team because our economies are quite strong and we've got good academies, but also because I'm a nice person or I'm I'm focusing more on talking to these people and, and making sure they're nice and happy uh, and comfortable. And if they're comfortable, the football will take care of itself, and especially in a cup competition, because you've got to bear in mind, 2018, the Champions League was won by Real Madrid, managed mm-hmm. by Zidane, and the World Cup was won by France, managed by Didier Deschamps. So the two biggest tournaments in world football that year were won by managers that everyone admits aren't tacticians, but were very much a, okay, how you doing? It was like a weird sort of, oh, there's more than one way to win a game of football. You know what's interesting is if we look at like maybe the peak footballers in 2010, they're born when? The early 80s probably. That Over 25 is the early 1980s. Over t- If you're over 25 now, that means you're like 95-ish. So has have things changed that much from decade to decade where somebody born in like maybe 1982 is it is it that different from somebody who's born in like 1997? I'd say those so. are those are those are completely different upbringings. Yes. And completely different cultures to where in which a Mourinho might not work with somebody born Mourinho doesn't work with somebody born in 1998. But maybe as a dad might. Yes. Oh. And it's also in, in, important to when you say someone born in 98 it's also important to say where in the world. Fair enough. Uh, I think I've, I've alluded to this on the, I think we were talking about this on podcast before when we talk about Yaya Torre, when Yaya Torre says stuff about Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola, you know, does Pep Guardiola hate African players? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Does Pep, Guardiola, does Pep Guardiola hate African players because they're African? Probably not. Does Pep Guardiola not get on with certain players because of their headstrong and forthright? Absolutely. Pep Guardiola, Ibrahimovic said it, Epo said it, Pep Guardiola wants academics, people who mm-hmm. are learned and will read stuff and will take on his commands and do what he says. You're going to see more players in world football that are susceptible to taking on Pep's commands because we've just got more academies. Where there are more football academies, there are more players that are able to learn about 4-3-3s and 3-2-4-1s and have been able to do that and have not really got real-world experience because they've been in the football industry since the age of nine. Now, Mourinho is different. Mourinho likes macho, strong people who can think for themselves and don't need a hug. And when he say Mourinho can't, can only deal with people born in 1998, I don't think so. Mourinho, Mourinho is sort of, does Mourinho love black people and Africans? Maybe. 
there was Mourinho love people who were the first born in their family and probably had to look after their younger siblings. Absolutely. Mourinho loves <laughs> Mourinho loves guys that have real world experience. Mourinho loves guys that have been through shit. Mm-hmm. There are less and less of those players because we've got academies and there you've been doing this since the age of nine. But if you're if you're someone that grew up on the other side of the Berlin Wall or came from Eastern Europe or, or came from, from a less economically developed country, I can remember what it's like having to decide between getting food or getting the bus to training. Marino will probably deal with you because you understand the harsh nature of life and you cannot, probably aren't going to get in a hissy fit if Marino calls you a virus. I think that's also a very interesting thing that we're, we're beginning to understand as a footballing culture as well. It's, like, it's not only how old you are, but also where you grew up and also like what pitches you grew up playing. Those are also my big takes. What about you, Dan? I was just thinking about when when you mentioned who's the best manager of the decade. I think the, the, the one everybody goes to is Guardiola. But could you make a case for Klopp? He's been in three Champions League finals. He took on Bayern with Dortmund and has two leagues. He's taking on what many consider to be the best team ever constructed in English football. And mm-hmm. it seems he's doing fairly well. He finally won the Champions League. And the style of football, which we've kind of discussed, that has become in vogue, the pressing style. Is he the progenitor of that? No. What would we say? He wasn't the first one to press, but he, he was the first. He had the most it's pronounced style. He had the most pronounced style. Oh, you know, the pressing is also, you know, Pep Guardiola presses. I'd say Pep Guardiola is the best manager in the world right now, and then Klopp is not that far off it. And I think we said, we said this before on this podcast. If you're 24 years of age and you want to play... Mm-hmm. Under the best football manager in the world, you play for Pep. If you are 24 years of age and you want to play under the best football manager in the world and you want to enjoy yourself, you play for Klopp. <laughs> and then I think below that, it's, you know, I think Pochettino's top five. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I think that was just, that was just a good old reaction. To no, that no, that's fine. I think, I think that's, <laughs> while we're talking about Klopp being a fantastic manager, let's not forget when he left Dortmund, they had ended up like seventh because they had a terrible season in Klopp's final season where they went near relegation. And I think that's more or less having to Pochettino right now at Spurs. Pochettino will go on to be one of the better managers next decade and, and next decade will be the era of Poch as well. Now. Please bear in mind, Pochettino started part of this decade at Espanyol and at Southampton Football Club. The same way that Jamie Vardy started this decade playing not professional football. So last, lastly, do you want to do like a, a team of the decade? Um, uh, like I can only do a team of decade for like a club. Nah, come on, man. We can do this. Goalkeeper, easy. Buffon, Neuer. See, Buffon in the in the twenty tens. Come on, man. <laughs> See, I'm, no, no, Neuer, Neuer, Neuer as, the, as the goalkeeper of a decade. Yes, he was the first sweeper keeper. He's good with his feet. Um, yeah, came to come prom- on, man. Buffon in twenty tens. He came to prominence in two thousand eleven, and this is gonna be mad simple. Right back, Danny Alves. Correct. Left back, Marcelo. Philip Lam. You know what? Because we already talked about 7-1, and I don't know if, how many German players we're going to get in and, here. And Lam, I'll give, I'll I'll give you Lam. Uh, yeah, I'll give you Lam. Um, the two center backs. I think we've already said Thiago Silva can get in here. Sergio Ramos has to be in this. The yeah. clutch moments, winner of uh, all the Champions Leagues. And yeah. he's in the Spain team. Thiago Silva, you can swap with someone if you wish, but it's yeah. Arles, so we're putting Thiago Silva in Ooh. there. All right, right, DM Busquets. Yes. Oh boy. Are we playing four three? You want to play four three three or four two three one? Four three three. We'll play. So it's it's the formation of the decade. Now we have two central midfield spots. In my list, I would want to put in Golo Kante. Would you agree, Kante. or do you want like a spot for Xavi and yes, Kante only been since 2015. I know, but still, it's he's it's a it's a meteoric rise, bro. True. True. I'm thinking. How, oh, okay. No. Okay. How about this? We we both agree on Busquets as the DM. I'm yep. taking one central midfielder and I'm putting Kante. You okay. can take the other one. I want to put a German guy in there, but you, I can't put Tony Cruz in there. That's the thing. Oh, I'm putting Luka Modric. Modric, bingo. Luka Modric, the first. I mean, he shouldn't. He probably shouldn't have won the Ballon d'Or, but he was the first player this decade <laughs> that wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo and Ronaldo or Messi to win to to do that. And he was. There was a point in time where he very clearly was the best central midfielder player in the planet. So mm. Luka Modric. And right. I feel like, and, and I feel like this front three is pretty simple. Left yeah. wing, we're gonna go Ronaldo. Yep. Right yep. wing, Messi. Yep. And then up top, we're gonna go Lewandowski. Unless you have another nomination, Luis Suarez. I need to think about this one because <laughs> that's not a bad shout, you know. 
It's it's either Suarez or Lewandowski. Is there anybody else who might be a contender for best striker? As Ibrahimovic, out. but no, no. He, he he ended the decade at LA Galaxy, so nah. I like Benzema, but no, it'd be I wouldn't feel comfortable with him putting the. Um, there's a reason, you know. There's prefer, there's personal reasons as well. I can't even say man like Eto. I can't say Drogba. Uh, you also, I think what's really interesting there is what he says about this decade of football as well in terms of number nines. Let's think about it. France won World Cup 2018 with Drew up top. Uh, World Cup 2014 was won with Mario Goetz as a false nine for Germany. 2010 was won by a Spain team that had David Villa. You want to look in the mm-hmm. Euros as well. Portugal won the Euros without having a striker up top. Spain won the Euros in 2012 without having a striker up top. The number nine, as far as we know it, has rapidly changed because we want inside forwards and we want well, Cristiano Ronaldo or we want Messi-style players. You want to, you want to, and Hazard, as it will. So I will vote for. I'll give you Suarez, bro. I want to go Suarez because Suarez, Suarez was there right at the start in 2010. Yep, uh, and he's still doing it when he wants to do it. That pains but, me to say. I'm arguing for Luis Suarez when. But let the people know I want Lewandowski. Okay. <laughs> but you know. I, I feel like it, it could go either way there. So, yeah, our team of the decades. Talking tactics team of the decade. Neuer, Lam, Alves, Silva, Ramos, Busquets, Modric, Kante, Suarez, and, of course, Messi and Ronaldo. Is there anything left that we that we need to get through? No, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. I think Thank you for joining us for this podcast. If there's anything you want to comment and, and tell us about your sort of big moments of the decade, please tweet us so we can retweet yeah. it throughout the week because we, we do... It's one of those things that we, Daniel and I, I started this decade 18 years of age and I didn't really have an appreciation of football tactics or how football really worked. And now the decade's finished and, well, I write for The Athletic now, so. (laughs) It's a come up, it's a come up. Yeah, a lot has happened in a decade. I didn't know who you were, Daniel, 10 years ago, so. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know who I was 10 years ago. True, true. We've, We've grown, but anyway, yeah. As, as Carl said, get in contact with us. Um, there's no way we talked about 10 years of football and we mentioned everything in an hour. So if we've missed anything, give us your teams. I know you guys love 11, so that's why I decided to include it. But get in contact with us, your favorite manager, favorite player, favorite moment, favorite game, all that stuff, and uh, we'll retweet it. So there you go. This has been Talking Tactics. Remember to follow us as always on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All the links are in the description of the podcast. You can get me at Daniel to look. Carl, where can people find you? Anchorman616. Yeah, we're at Talking Tactics on Twitter. If you're listening on Spotify, please follow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. Leave a five-star review and we'll read it on the show. Thank you to the reviews that we got as well um, from this week. If you're a Patreon listener, we'll record 30 to 40 minutes extra for you guys. Um, sometime in the week. It's going to be about Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, so that should be fun. Maybe something about Stephen A. Smith. I was going to say a word that rhymes with moon, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Talking Tactics Podcast, sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.